0: and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. The Rugby Podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously. Hello, welcome to Rocket. This week we're going to be talking to some of the UK's biggest sports stars regarding their own mental health battles. It is Mental Health Awareness Week. I well, think it's very important that everyone talks, which is exactly what this podcast is about. And we've got some cracking interviews coming up, the first of which is myself and Kieran talking about Kieran's own struggles
1: with mental health. It's great to be back, Nick. we've uh, I've missed you over the last uh, few months, and uh, it's great to be doing this new series, Rocket, Let's Talk. Uh, with it being mental health awareness week, getting the chance to interview lots of stars, talking about their journey. Um, but just just quick update. Where, you know, how's things at Newcastle? I believe you've got your own place now, uh, up there renting, you're not from a hotel room. And uh you yeah, had mixed results, started off really well, but um enjoying it.
0: Yeah, mate, uh well, apart from uh been on a bit of a losing run at the moment but uh, it happens in professional sport and uh, you've got to find a way out and i suppose that's what challenges you so that's on the professional front the work front. uh still really in, well obviously I, lo- I love rugby mate it's a massive passion love the coaching um but got the family up here now so as you correctly say you know i'm not from a hotel hotel room commuting up the family have now joined me have been up since right at the beginning of january um and loving everything that the rural sort of countryside life has to offer mate you know more space um much more chilled out happier sort of community you
1: know good dog walks um people actually say hello up there don't they do you know what i mean i mean you must notice that when you lived in london it's sort of like if you say hello to someone in london they think you're gonna there's something wrong or you're after someone, you're gonna attack them but no one says hello in london but we're up north they're all a bit more friendly aren't they
0: yeah, I mean, I think, you know, London's a big place. I mean, where I lived in Wimbledon, mate, uh, it was a friendly area. But uh, where you live, probably... Uh, a bit dodgy, uh, is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, it was probably a bit dodgy, mate. No, no one knew whether you were actually saying or about to nick their car keys. Um, but, uh, yeah, look... That's when it, I lived in Liverpool, mate. It's, well, well, they, they were very friendly then, if they were trying to do that. Um, yeah, look, it's 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 different, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and you know we're enjoying the chilled vibe um as i said a little bit more time a little bit more space less stressful uh clear you know clean country air uh, and we're not too far away mate from you know Keyside, uh, gosforth jesmond it's only a 25 minute drive and now things are starting to open up you know take a take a journey down there um and uh yeah look things are slowly getting back to normal aren't they so in terms of enjoying Um, everything that uh, Northumberland and Newcastle has to offer, uh, it's
1: just round the corner. No, it's great, and um, luckily we get the opportunity to interview some uh, sporting stars and stars and talking about their mental health. And I was just, uh, you've probably um, listened to me in the past and it's been in the papers recently, but from your point of view, uh, I guess you haven't necessarily had any uh, difficult situations with your mental health. or have you had any you know people that you know who struggled well t-
0: touch wood um you know we all have our ups and downs don't we uh, um you know in terms of our feelings and emotions and everything but uh you know not- nothing nothing com- can you know compared to uh you know a lot-, a lot of the guys and and girls that have had mental health battles because it's obviously come to the forefront of you know society um sort of attention isn't it that's sort of been hidden away for a long long time and now people can talk openly and we'll talk a little bit more about that in terms of the sort of treatment and advice but no in in short to you so far um my father um, you yeah, know suffered from parkinson's for you know the last 8 years of his life he was diagnosed and you know what comes with that and it might be a little bit different to sort of maybe a trauma that's happened or you know an event that's happened in the past when you're a little bit younger and I, but uh, you know depression was was a big symptom of his um, You know, not wanting to get out of bed in the morning not really having a purpose and just being right. shocked by the whole diagnosis you know being a very healthy man and professional squash player as well and you know his whole life it, it was a bit of a shock and really you know it a lot of people deal with you know that particular illness and other illnesses they take it head on they make sure that they have a, a structure for every single day and they don't let it as much as obviously it's good you know don't let it eat them up inside in, inside them um unfortunately you know he struggled to deal with it um so whenever there was a good or good couple of days it always followed like some some really bad moments and obviously my mum was a sounding board in terms of updating me and what was happening as far as that was concerned so look maybe that that was the diagnosis of a of, a, of an illness um that brought that on as opposed to as i say an event or a trauma that might have happened earlier in in uh, people's lives, which, you know, is, is mainly about what Mental Health Awareness Week is, isn't it? You know, the um, you know the highest proportion of deaths of men under 45 is suicide and driven by mm. mental health issues. And that's what we're here to talk about.
1: Do you, do you have do you have quite good uh, welfare officers at Newcastle? Because there's a bit of an epidemic in rugby. Um, rugby players are the last people who want to talk and um, And I guess, I know I was very embarrassed during my career, you know, no one knew what I was going through, but I guess now players, they have the opportunity, don't they? There's welfare officers, there's opportunities. And I I believe it's rife in rugby at the moment. I'm not at the sharp end like you are, but these, these, these young men, you know, the high end, under pressure, some of them really struggling, aren't they?
0: Yeah, they do, mate. And uh, I just think, you know, we're, 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 probably referring to something that might have been over a period of time or might affect them, you know, longer term and still be there, but actually just dealing. And, you know, some people from might go, Oh, you know, really, you know, it's just part and parcel of it. But I think, you know, the more and more you, you watch these guys and you observe them um, in terms of their emotional ups and downs, you know, just around the rugby club, because people talk about emotion, uh, the mental health for the players, outside of the rugby environment so how's everything at home you know how are you dealing with covid for example the last year which has obviously been difficult and uh you know would affect people's mental health but actually you know in team sport the selection you know not getting selected injuries um how people deal with that and i still think a hell of a lot more can be done within rugby clubs um perfectly honest in terms of dealing with that and the sooner we sort of you know, get up to date with the times and, you know, finances allow because, you know, rugby's taken a hit, you know, for football can probably afford to employ these welfare officers and, you know, people who, you know, can be a confidant for, for individuals and help them through it and be a support is that a lot more can be done as far as that's concerned. Because I think what happens in the workplace has a big impact, you know, as a professional athlete and what happens outside the workplace. because. Mm to be an elite athlete Braxton you and I know it you do have to be selfish you'd have to be single-minded you've got this this driven narrow focus um of ambition of wanting to be the very very best in, in the world ultimately um and everything else becomes a bit of a periphery to you and you know people do suffer around you but they understand what drives you and you know that's sort of um you know boat you, you're going to be sailing in um but when things don't go well which, you know, success comes on the back of many failures and how you deal with it and respond to it. But if, if things don't go so well for you for that particular person in the environment of, of their job, um, of their profession, um, I don't think that the, the support in the modern day um, is enough at
1: the moment. No, I mean, you know, I, I guess uh, rugby players like I was at one stage, I mean, I was sort of, at the height of my career I think I was 30 to going on, yeah 30 playing for England from Saracens everything was going really well and <clears throat> I just started getting really bad anxiety I didn't know what it was from I was like what is all of this I went to the doctor and he said oh we think you've got stomach ulcers or something and then that was discounted and with tests and um, <clears throat> I think it took about a year to diagnose me with anxiety and then OCD and um, it was a bit of a you know a jolt out of the blue really I was like well you know it was you 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 hear and read these things about other people struggling and then it this sort of thing happens to you but being a rugby player you sort of um I was just the most overwhelming feeling which I would say most men get and women but most you know men would feel more embarrassed it is embarrassment about it, a, f- a sign of uh, of failure, a sign of weakness, huge weakness. Uh, you know, as well as I do, the rugby players, we go on the pitch half injured anyway all the time. But, you know, when you're injured in the mind, so to speak, it, um, it can be very detrimental to everything you're doing. But I just felt really embarrassed. And the thought of anyone knowing that there was something wrong or I was dealing with this would be huge embarrassment. I would hide my tablets just in case anyone ever saw them. I would never, I would always act bravado, sort of look at me, I'm strong and take the what, makeup at people back. Was,
0: uh, Go back a bit, Brad. So how old were you when you recognized? 30. And, and so, you, so you pretty much pinpointed when it started in terms of, right, I need treatment, I need to see someone. It wasn't something that you weren't sure for maybe four or five years, or, you know, something's not quite right. I don't quite feel the same as I did before. I better go and see someone. It was pretty much at the at the time I was in, it was 30.
1: Yeah, about 30. I would had a few concussions, and I don't know whether that's related, but I had a few concussions, been knocked out a few times, and then suddenly I, I always sort of struggled, especially around, you know, internationals, to sleep very well, probably because of the pressure. I hated rooming with people and listening to them snoring. You know, be Dean Richards or whatever. But it was—I always like struggled to sleep, especially around uh, the pressure time. Share rooms? Did you for internationals before a game? Yeah, yeah. We used to share rooms, and then and then I think later on they got everyone to have their own room, which is much more sensible. There was, was nothing worse than being in a room with Dean Richards snoring away. It was horrible. But uh, but yeah, about the age of thirty, and then I noticed getting these adrenaline rushes. So you know that feeling before a game get the adrenaline rush i would get that sort of after the game even and even in the evening and in the mornings when i when i was just going for a walk i was getting these surges of adrenaline i know now what that was it was just it was anxiety um and I, i went to the doctor and he said oh you must have a stomach ulcer this is in you know this is in 2000 so this is sort of you know so yeah 2000 2001 so it took about a year and then i started having all these like rituals of going to sleep and going to the toilet at nine I couldn't sleep so when you combine pressure with sort of rituals of going to sleep with anxiety I started to lose quite a lot of weight I got down to 12 12 and a bit stone I was my fighting weight was thirteen and a bit stone so everything started to go a bit wrong for me and started not playing very well as well and and then after a while I saw a psychologist who said, I think you're, you're suffering from um, anxiety. And well, anxiety is a, is, a, is, a, is a sort of form of depression. It's just, a, you know, a symptom of depression. So basically, I went to a psychiatrist and said, yeah, we have to put you on these tablets. And I was like, what? What do you mean, put me on these tablets? So it kind of felt like a massive label. It was like, you know, it was a label saying you are weak. You are a bit of a loser. <clears throat> you can't hack it. So I remember after like two months going back and saying, "I think I should come off these tablets. I don't think I should be on them. They make me feel tired and stuff." And it wasn't because I was worried about whether it treated me or not. It was just, it was just, a, it was just a feeling of, you know, now I'm I'm actually really weak and I can't take the pressure. So that's my that was my feeling. Uh, but years later now. sort of feel much better to talk about it only because everyone else has talked about it so I feel confident in saying do you know what I struggled and because I now know that most people look at that in a different way they don't go oh that means you are a loser you're not a gladiator you're not a winner you know what I mean now people go okay well you know lots of people struggle like you and yes I was one of them or I wasn't one of them but I always wonder for someone like you who hasn't like uh, had those experience necessarily is to some extent, do you, do you kind of feel in a way it's like ran down, ram down your throat because everyone's coming out and you know, the new woke society, is it sometimes I'll oh, come on, leave it. You know, leave
0: it I out. I think, mate, um look, society always changes. We know that. And it takes people like you to speak out. And, you know, it's the same with it, with a lot of things in life, isn't it? What, what wasn't accepted before and what people were living in trepidation and fear of people finding out, you know, now is a much more open world. And, uh, you know, I think it's a happier place because of that as well and uh, a better place, most importantly. And, look, there's still a lot more to be done. Have you uh, – did you – have you spoken to anyone from that era, Saracens in England, that felt the same as you um, at that time, that were having yeah. you know, similar anxieties and things? And, you know, not, not sort of saying that the happy that you came out or they might come out or have come out, but uh, mm. just interested to know like how many people might have been suffering as well. from that.
1: Yeah, well, I, I was amazed over the last few years when I have been outspoken. I was amazed as to how many players who got in contact with me who were saying, Oh, I'm, I'm really glad you said something about this because I was struggling as well, but I never told anyone, you know. And these are, these are sort of in, you know, seasoned international players who you'd actually look and you'd go, No way would they have struggled. Absolutely no way. So, yeah, I mean, loads, you know, dozens of people have said that to me. And that's, that's, you know, it surprised me, but none of those people would. I don't believe we'll be very happy talking about it because it would be telling the world that their image of being, you know, the world's best, England's best, that they may not be because they've got, you know, because they've got mental health issues. So again, you're going to find yeah, a lot. No, of there's nothing, you know, a lot of
0: the, obviously won't reveal who it is, but you know, you look back and you go, God, the, the, there was never a moment where you thought, oh, right, sure, I could see that in them. It was just completely, no, not hidden, but, you know, you would have been completely oblivious to it, you know, uber-confident men in the prime of their lives. Um, That's what people say to me,
1: yeah. That's what people said to me. They said, what, you were struggling all while you were doing, like, while you were captaining, while you were playing for Saris, while you were playing for it? I was like, yeah, and there's like, you you hid it really well, didn't you? And I was like, well, yeah, you know, I had to, you know, I can't, can you imagine in 2000, 2001, just being around, you know, the players and coaches and, you know, the Francois Pinars and the, the Michael Line, and say, Hey, listen, guys, I've got something to tell you. I'm, you know, I'm on medicine. They, they go, what? <laughs> but I hit it really well, you know, but one thing yeah. I found really good, I mean, this is, this, this, um podcast is also about, you know, what the answers are. And I, um, what I found really good was my brother was amazing with me because um, he kind of like, I had a, psychiatrist but i also had a therapist the thing about getting better it's a combination of medicine really does help and getting the right medicine it took me about three years to get the right medicine that worked for me you can get the wrong medicine and make you feel terrible and still not uh sort of treat the symptoms and it takes you know quite a few rounds to sort of get the the better blend but then the therapist was really good because they would talk to you about how you're feeling what does that mean from a uh, from their point of view Uh, they kind of interpret how you're feeling and your your mental health they sort of interpret and they sort of give you sort of almost programs and challenges to sort of work on breaking the thinking patterns and that was really really good but most you know Therapists are quite expensive per hour. So you end up needing a confidant. And, and the question is, who's that confidant? Now, some people would go to their best friends. Some people would go to their wives and partners. But I was lucky I had my brother. And my brother was like, he was just, I don't, know, I can't explain it. He was, he was sort of like, um, obviously, he hadn't experienced anything like it, but he was just really good about sort of, you know, small goals and sort of, um, trying to challenge yourself on on things that you're struggling with and actually he kept saying I remember kept saying a lot he said don't worry you know this will go because at the time you kind of think it's never going to go that's yeah. the hard part and that's why some people do say do you know what I've had enough of this and and they top themselves but not I never felt like that but I always felt that it was going to take so long for this to go away and it, I mean it did it took I mean god it took 10 years Really, so was that was that
0: post retirement? Was it?
1: Yeah, yeah. So a lot because
0: a lot of sportsmen and rugby players, you don't earn enough to, you know, yeah, sit on a beach and uh you know with your feet up or whatever and go and play rounds of golf you, when you retire. Is a lot of sportsmen. I don't know whether you know you mentioned the concussions. Maybe you hit thirty as well. Maybe you're thinking about life after rugby, and that could have been an effect as well. You know, subconsciously in the mind. Um, it's around that retirement, isn't it? That uh, it hits home in terms of that lack of identity, lack of purpose, being someone, you're not having that adulation that you craved before, even if if you're one of those who wasn't, you know, one of the outgoing extrovert attention seekers in the rugby club, you still crave that admiration. Um, Not having that, Because, because that would have been difficult if you had that, you know, in the last, I don't know, what, five years of your career, whatever, and then you're making that transition. That must have been difficult.
1: Yeah, you see, I was one of the lucky ones. I mean, I went from um, playing rugby for England and Sarries, and then I retired and suddenly I was doing dancing and ice and I was touring the country with 20,000 people watching me ice skate. It was really bizarre. I re- I never really had the sort of uh, fall off a cliff like a lot of rugby players have. And a lot of rugby players I've talked to struggle with their mental health when, when they retired because they were like, they've got no structure. What do I do now? Like you say, there's not enough money in rugby to retire forever. So, you know, you can hopefully help you buy a house and set you up in life. But actually, after you finish rugby, a lot of players really do struggle and their mental health they struggle with. So I think there's a lot of support now with wellbeing officers, but I never really had that. I never really had that. Because first thing is I wanted to stop playing because I'd had enough. I'd done 14 years in the, in the premiership. And I wanted to try new things and I wanted to be free of the game. And I guess really, I suppose from your point of view, you never really had that drop off other than the challenge of playing was replaced by the challenge of coaching, wasn't it?
0: Yes. Um, and I suppose with both of us, I mean, weren't you, you were in law or soliciting, weren't you, before yeah. you played? I mean, you you also had a, a professional you were studying. Um, you probably had to fill me in, but... You didn't know the game was going to go professional when you started playing no. and, and Saracen. So you had rugby as a hobby, as a pastime, as you know, some a passion, but obviously you didn't get paid for it. Um, and I was similar. Um, I didn't go professional till I was 23, didn't play for England until I was 28. Um, so you know, i you know, studied, um, you know, worked in the city, you know, worked as a teacher as well. So sort of had a had an idea, obviously, okay, without wanting to be patronizing. Life, freedom, life. Well, the real world or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But had a little bit of an idea and always kept that appreciation um for what I was doing yeah. when I was playing rugby. And yeah, look, if I'd been professional from 18 or you know, picked up at 16 as they are now, or even 14, and in this academy, and all you do is eat, drink, sleep, rugby, as you say, you've got a structure, you've got goals to hit you know, everything's done for you, your ass is white for you, and you get the admiration, you get the rewards as well. Yeah, there's loads that come with it, but you get the rewards. I probably would have gone, you know what, I've had enough for a couple of years, let's see if that, that rekindles itself. But because obviously I started a little bit late into the professional game, you know, the fire still burns for me. Um, but that's just on a personal level. Um was I, was going to ask you something. Um, in terms of, yeah, in terms of, Um, where you are now Hmm. with it all do you feel you have to control it do you ever go back to those moments how often do you go back to those moments are you still seeking the odd bit of treatment advice or are you completely clear and um you know you've come out the other side and
1: yeah I've come out the other side I would say uh about for about five years at least maybe seven years uh the, the thing that really affected me was the uh was OCD the OCD was horrific I mean um the anxiety once I got on the tablets the anxiety really uh was dampened down to a, a really acceptable level uh that I could cope with it if you know what I mean when I uh when I was at my worst I mean it was I was losing so much weight because the anxiety obviously you burn calories with all anxiety yeah. and um you know, I, I fortunately, you know, got on good tablets, which dampened it right down. Obviously, I still had that sort of adrenaline rush before I play a big match. But then the, the tablets over a period of time sort of dampened it down, you know, when I wasn't playing so that it was manageable. So if you have high anxiety, it's really hard to sleep. It's like it's really hard to sleep there when you get these rushes of adrenaline. So that's what it was brilliant for. It, it helped with the sleep. Help with the anxiety, but did did very little for the OCD. So the OCD is a rumination in your mind which keeps going around in circles, around in circles. Like most people think OCD is sort of, you know, you you sort of wash your hands 10 times and then you know you, you line things up. Well that's that's one form, but it's nothing like that. You know, people with OCD, some people can't leave their house fear no. of fear of germs or fear of gonna get run over, whatever. So you know you think you'd look at them and go well they're, they're bonkers but i had my own sort of things going around in my head and i couldn't stop it and that's that was a torturous thing for me the anxiety was control with the tablets but it's quite hard to to get tablets to control the ocd the ocd took a lot of time with a the therapist about trying to ignore the stuff that was going on it probably took me 10 years to conquer it so I don't get those I don't get those ruminating uh, thoughts anymore. I haven't for many, many years. Um I have anxiety I've tried to come off the tablets a few times and I've noticed my anxiety going up, so I've come back on them as the doctor says, if you had diabetes, you'd you know you'd you'd be taking your jab every day and in insulin. but you know because you've got a mental health issue, you think you need to come off it so that. That makes because that makes you feel that you're you're not weak. So just treat it like diabetes, and that's what I do. So I haven't really struggled. Are you still take you still taking medication? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, every time I've tried to come off, I've noticed my anxiety goes right back up, and OCD sometimes comes back. So I'm, I'm 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 told I'm on it for life, really.
0: Are You as your therapist, or you discovered, you know, the, the the trigger for the anxiety. I mean, obviously it's multiple things, but if there's one sort of you know larger larger aspect um that, that's making you feel like that
1: um i'm guessing though when i first had it it had to do with the environment and of of, of the pressure i was i was under with england and Sarries, and maybe you know i think the pressure really comes from you within we all, mm-hmm. all rugby players have that sort of drive to be better and nothing's ever good enough but i guess really it didn't you know it, it, it sort of over the years, it became more and more manageable, if that makes sense. And anytime I had a little backward step, I was really well versed and well understanding what was happening to me so that I could use the, you know, the, the sort of practices of you know the breathing techniques. Breathing techniques is a really important one. I'd have an app on my phone, um, and I would listen to the app, and and it would basically have techniques of sort of calming your mind. And so I did all of that, and I got into really good processes in the week of quite regimented about how would I I tackle it. But later on in life, I've had to do that less and less. To the extent I don't have to do anything now, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Um, So. You know that was obviously when you were playing for England and Saracens, and so yeah, the sort of five years after you retired. You know, if you're going to take that ten year window we talk about, you're yeah. no longer playing for Saracens in England. Um, what what could the possible triggers be for your anxiety
1: then, or is it is it just yeah, accumulated well, I mean,
0: and built up that everything seems to?
1: Trigger? Yeah, it wasn't. It, it, that's the thing. You see, um, it was it was a case of. I mean. There wasn't necessarily the pressure when I retired, there wasn't the pressure of playing the rugby anymore. But I was, uh, I would had got into so many bad rituals going to sleep, my sleeping pattern was all over the place and the anxiety that eventually got controlled by the drugs. It took a long time to sort of get to a reset where I was in a good position. I think what happens is you get you get what's called building blocks. You know, Um, you get these building blocks by the people you've spoken to, by the psychiatrists and the medicine. And those building blocks over time sort of build up your capability. It's a a bit like Covid, you know, a Covid vaccine. You sort of you build up of a vaccine yourself, of knowing how to deal with anything that comes along. And I think because of that, those building blocks, that if ever there's anything that comes along that's a bit worrying about that I'm worried about, I can straight away go to the right person, the right people. Um, But more so now they've given me the tools to sort of understand it and deal with it and manage it and treat it almost self-treat it. You know, it becomes you know, straight away, I'll get on my app, I'll get, get on the app and I'll start doing meditation and I'll do it for a week and I'll notice that the anxiety will reduce. I'll notice that any OCD sort of rumination will slowly stop. So I've got the techniques of how to deal with it, you know. The thing is, what scares me is I'm in a really privileged position because I had the, the backing of the RPA, uh, Players Association. I had my own money. I had every sort of like outlet infrastructure to help me to get to where I am now and to be well you know to think of people out there who don't have you know a or too embarrassed and even even if they are aren't embarrassed and do seek help don't get the right help can't get to the right people I just it just saddens me the thought. Yeah. yeah so
0: uh, just you know we're, we're obviously having an open discussion here in terms of you know in your particular case you know it's the pressure you're under you know we've spoken about sportsmen in particular very single minded you know all they you know it's all about success isn't it and changing the goals and um as you move further along and you know raising the stakes if you like at school were you always in all the teams and yeah like you, you, know, you. at the captain and all that sort of stuff well this yeah. is well you say that but I was but I had many failures at school. I was um, <laughs> I was dropped from the A's to the C's for um, an attitude problem when I was about fourteen. No way, seriously? Yeah, 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 I can't remember what it was about. Actually, maybe I just challenged the coach or something like that. I was cricket. I was the you know the star opening bowler and everything. And we were about to go on an end of season cricket tour. We used to tour. Um, it was three, four schools actually. Downside, I think. Downside Bar. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. there's a Scottish team, and there's another team from Lancashire, and you know, one one of the schools would host the the other, and you set around Robin. And it was all sort of like the, the crescendo to the to the season, and I wasn't allowed to go on that because uh, no way I was suspended for uh, misdemeanours <laughs> and. Uh, and mate, and 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 I, and I was—I'm just trying to figure things out. And I was also young for my years, like born in August, so you know I wasn't always—you know—when I was, especially when you were younger, you know, say like in the running races and everything. When you know, if you if you're good at sport, you're generally one of the fastest or whatever like that. It wasn't always the case. Now right. I was in all the teams, but I had some knockbacks, is what I'm saying, in terms of you know teachers. Right? Well, you know you you you, you haven't earned it or. You know, you need to you need to understand the consequences and all that sort of stuff. um And I'm just sort of comparing it. You know, uh, I talk about my brother, and uh, you know, he's not going through any mental health issues, but he he was in all the teams all the time, model sort of student, if you like, as as well. Never really had a failure until he openly confesses. You know, he's was disappointed getting a two two at university, thinking right. that, that was a failure, whereas. Well, I'm just talking my own experience. I was used to sort of, you know, failing exams and then bouncing back and then getting an A in them. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, it it was it was through no fault of my own. And, you know, I had to sort my sort of application or or attitude out or, you know, prioritize or whatever it might be. And what, what I'm trying to say is I wonder whether that could help people later on, you know, especially the guys that are winning all the time. That don't have failures until they get to their twenties or maybe late teens, and then are unsure how to deal with it. Whether it could be something from a, uh, you know, f- from an education point of view, that look even if it, they don't deserve a knockback, maybe we give them one just to see how they can manage it.
1: Do you yeah, judge, so you me-
0: understand what I'm saying. No, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. so I was used to. I was used to sort of dealing with you know failure or getting dropped or whatever it might be. Or I was injured for an entire rugby season as well, which you know was completely against. You know, I didn't suffer from any bad injuries when I was playing, and so I'd sort of been hardened, is probably the word. But I, I'd experienced um, you know things not going as well, and I'm not saying that's why. Yeah. You know, I haven't suffered as yet because I could well do in the future and hopefully you know don't but maybe that's something to do with it and I've discussed this before with people about you know maybe if you are whether it's manufactured or by design um allowed to fail um in life then you know earlier on in life it sets you up for later on in life and I suppose it's a lot like behaviors and you know manners and, and education everything that goes along with it is you know you, you are formed in the early years psychologically um you know that, that that has been proven that sort of uh in the early years psychologically you are uh you know formed for the rest of your life is that actually if you aren't told how good you are all the time if you aren't promoted all the time or put on a pedestal and sometimes you do have to have a, a knock back and then you are educated with how to deal with that or you're you know left to see how you deal with it then you could be better prepared later on you know it's just a discussion point that's all I've lost you mate I've lost your mic
1: can you hear me now sorry I mean yeah, the- yeah, I can hear you now but did you hear what I'm saying yeah yeah no I mean I, I agree I think um do you know what I think the failures are so important in character building I mean I didn't have many I'll be honest when I was at school I was Captain of the team, captain of England schools. You know, I was a uh, sport billy, really good at everything. I worked really hard academically, always strive to get somewhere. But I, I, I guess, yeah, when I was at school, I, there were never many failures for me. I guess when I started playing Premiership and, you know, got into England, there were lots of ups and downs. And I guess I don't know what, probably, you're, you're probably right. You've, you know, I probably didn't have those failures to, to rest on so to speak and learn from like you might have and that could be something that's um you know some people might struggle with when in their 20s of actually they've been they've been winners all their life and suddenly they're a, they used to be a big fish in a small pond and now they're a small fish in a big pond and then they struggle but i think you know i think failures for me you know failures being you know you're you're not playing well for England, or you get dropped, or you you get injured and you can't get back in, and whatever. It sort of um, defines you, doesn't it? I think that I, you know, I'm most proud. People say, "What's your what's your proudest uh, you know time on a rugby pitch?" And it's never to do with like winning stuff. It's always to do with when I was told I wasn't good enough. When I was told I was, um, you know. I wouldn't make it anymore. Then I proved everyone wrong over and over again. So there's those moments in my darkest hour where I was, you know, you go and see a doctor and he said, right, you've got to retire. Um, You know, two or three times that's happened. You know, your back's too bad. You've got to stop playing and, you know, next year I'm playing for England. And it's just, it's that really. And I think probably from your point of view, because you had the failures, because you came to it late, because you went round a different system, the back door, you were a bit more how can I say it? You're a bit more wise to life. You were a bit more uh more, better prepared, probably the most to deal with failures, to deal with disappointments, because to some extent you hadn't been such a high flyer.
0: Yeah, look, I mean, I don't want to pre end it. I, you know, it could be round the corner for me and they could be talking about it completely differently, but, you know, I, discussed with many people in terms of you know just going back to what we're talking about the education system has a lot to learn i think in terms of helping people equip themselves for it and and uh, i think you're absolutely right mate i think parents also have a job you know we hear a lot now about parents yeah you know, telling the kids how wonderful they are stepping in at school when you know their kids being told off or whatever it might be you know or not in the team it's like actually that's that, that's probably the wrong parenting yes, you might want to know if you think a bit of injustice has been done, that's fair enough, but you can't force your will to make your child happy and think your child, you know, is, is super special. Um, you, you've got to afford him the ability to deal with, you know, being let down or, you know, not being as successful, not getting what he or she wants, um, uh, just as much as, you know, when they get rewarded for good things. And, uh, and and I think it's an important makeup because otherwise you get to the stage now later in life when you know we, you know it's become such a big discussion point. Of people are opening up and you know there is is this treatment, but as you say, it costs money. You need that support there. Is it always there? People are probably afraid to talk. Well, the less people um, this happens to, because if we you know we tackle it earlier on in in people's lives but obviously not the mental health side but you know the balance of life if you like whatever it might be if we tackle that balance of life and expectations then I think people will be in a better place later on that's just my personal opinion
1: no I think you're right I think you're right so Callum is there anything you want us to uh, you want us to finish off with or add or or um So shall, okay. so, shall I ask Brent? Shall I ask Yeah. No worries.
0: All right, Kieran. Um, you know, before we go, it's been fascinating talking to you and, and hearing your story and, you know, obviously we're, we're friends and we, you know, have the open dialogue. You know, no one knows the answers, um, but uh, I think it all helps certainly um, from an awareness point of view and, you know, people want to hear and, and talk about it. What advice would you give someone, um,
1: you know, who's listening who might be struggling? I think the first thing is, um, you know, it's really good to talk. I mean, rookie, it's called, you know, let's talk. It's really important that you talk. They're probably the most important depends how bad it is. But, you know, if it is really bad um, straight away, you need to go to your GP. You need to, you know, basically explain to him. The GP will be seeing this every day up and down the country, will understand exactly what's happening and will refer you to the right people. Um, but in the meantime, before you're getting the pro- the proper professional professional medical help, is is to talk to a confidant. That can be a friend. That can be a family member. I mean, I was really embarrassed telling my parents. I didn't tell them for about eight months. Mm. It's only my brother and his brother uh, knew. So there's always going to be a feeling of embarrassment for for, for some people, well, not all, but some people. And and that's where you've just got to sort of You just got got to swallow your pride and just say you know i'm struggling here um there's enough people out there who are who are basically um you know making noise about the fact that they're struggling so don't be embarrassed this happens to many of us i don't know what the stats are but it'd be very very high um so it's normal if that makes sense um and once you get the right help whether that be with medication whether it be with therapy Whether it will be uh, with, um, you know, I would advise anyone the first thing to do would be to to download an app, which is uh, to help your breathing techniques, which will certainly help any sort of anxiety and calm the nerves in relation to your symptoms. Um, Have got a specific one in mind or are there quite a few? Yeah, I use Headspace. They're pretty good. Headspace are really good um you know i think it's five pounds a month and you just you can go on to all their different ones and you can get you know the good thing is they can say do you have a racing mind listen to this are you struggling with negative thoughts here's a distraction all of those sort of things so they help with that but but the real thing is the gp um and then if the gp refers you to a psychiatrist then you are give a medication don't be embarrassed about taking medication. If you need therapy, don't be embarrassed about talking to someone and open your heart to that person. And then at the same time, along with that, is to have a confidant, you know, a mate of yours, whether that confidant is your mum and dad or whether it's your brother and sister or your best mate, and you just keep talking to them. I'm feeling like this today and just just let them just let them listen. And it, it really is helpful. But, you know, don't be embarrassed like I was. Thank you for
0: listening to Racket. Stay tuned for more interviews with some of the UK's biggest sports stars regards mental health. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter.